Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we're going to be talking fertility facts when planning to have children later in life. In the past 40 years, the number of women waiting to have babies until their mid-30s or later has significantly increased. How does age affect a woman's ability to get pregnant, and what can she do about it? To learn more, I'll be talking with Dr. Lisa Duran. Stay tuned. This episode of Birthful is brought to you by the first eight days of being a mom, a day-by-day manual on taking care of the new mom as well as her newborn. Get a 10% discount by going to thefirst8days.com slash birthful. That's with the number eight, thefirst8days.com slash birthful. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, mamas and mamas to eat. Today, I'm excited to have Dr. Lisa Doran on the show talking about age and fertility. Lisa is a naturopathic doctor who specializes in women's and children's health and has a wealth of experience working with families on their journey with fertility, pregnancy, birth, and the newly postpartum. Aside from running her very busy practice, Lisa is frequently an invited speaker to professional seminars and has published extensively on complementary and alternative medicine. Dr. Doran is the co-author of Bearing Witness, Childbirth Stories Told by Doulas, and its sequel, Joyful Birth, More Childbirth Stories Told by Doulas. She also has three growing sons, a huge vegetable patch, an old fiddle, a spinning wheel, a red canoe, a dog named Daisy, and a longtime partner of 22 years who all keep her healthy, grounded, balanced, and happy. Sounds fantastic. Lisa, I'm so glad to have you here today. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is very exciting. So one of the things I've, I've heard you speak, and one of the things that really stuck to me was um, sort of your focus on fertility and how that affects moms who are waiting to have children. What is the most important thing they need to know about this? Well, I guess uh, I've been working with pregnant and, and uh, women who are trying to achieve a pregnancy now for almost 20 years, and I think... I think what I've been seeing a lot recently is are women, professional women, who have delayed childbearing um, and so are now in their mid-30s or maybe even their early 40s and are struggling. Um, and so, you know, they're seeking fertility help and fertility care. Um, and I'm seeing and I'm seeing them because they're hoping to achieve optimal wellness. And I guess the biggest thing I hear from them is I wish somebody would have told me that this was going to be so difficult. They they don't seem to they don't seem to have an understanding that as we age our fertility decreases dramatically. Mm-hmm. So when do things start getting difficult? Well, believe it or not, <clears throat> we now know that um, it used to be thirty five, right? And now it's thirty two. Believe mm-hmm. it or not, it has reduced. Yeah, and what we're seeing is that. The number of women ages 40 to 44 has, who are trying to achieve a pregnancy has increased by 70%. Um, so women are waiting much past that 32, 35 age bracket, and they're now trying to conceive in their late 30s and early 40s. And, then, and that's when they're understanding that there may be some difficulty in conceiving. So what is it about the advanced maternal age that makes it more difficult to conceive? Well, 
I, I mean, it's it's certainly multifactorial. I mean, one of one of the reasons is is because we just by living in in the environment we live in, we are exposed to oxidative stress, and um, these can damage both the egg and the sperm. And so we see that they're often damaged egg and damaged sperm, and and then conception is difficult. The other thing, of course, is um, we have a finite number of eggs in the ovaries, and um, and after they're used up, then then they're gone. Um, and the other thing is that we're seeing many of uh, our the chemicals in our environment, many of our personal care products, and uh, you know pesticides and herbicides in our food that are hormone disruptors and are affecting our fertility by um, decreasing our hormones or causing dysfunction in, in how our hormones are, are working. Okay, so let's break those down a little bit. Um, you mentioned a finite number of eggs. How is there a way that moms can easily or women can easily figure out how many eggs they have or if they have any any left or where they're at in that, in that I don't know, that stash? Yeah, there are... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. and there are there are tests that women can do to find out ovarian reserve. Um, they're, they're, it's newer testing now. Um, and it would be done through a reproductive endocrinologist. Um, so there's that type of testing that can be done. Um, the, I mean, the other way that we can track it is by using um, symptothermal graphs where we would graph a woman's temperature uh, over the month and, and track symptoms related to fertility. And then we can detect whether she's ovulating or not ovulating. There are other just really simple blood tests as well that will tell us if um, if she's getting a surge in the hormones that will release the egg. Okay. Um, and usually how many eggs does a woman have? Or, or what is on average an age where that stash starts to dwindle? Or can we even right. know so, that? Yeah, we know we know that for most women, it starts to decrease now by age 32. Um, so we we know that between the ages of 22 and 34 is really the optimal time for conception in in terms of our own physiology. I mean, there are a lot of of course sociological things that we need to look at that might say that those ages are not optimal for women, but what we know in terms of biological age is between the ages of 22 and 34. Okay. So that gives moms a first idea in terms of, you know, what age range to consider if they're out of that range, one of the things that might be affecting their fertility journey. Um, Mm -hmm. What's another way? I'm sorry, go ahead. What's another? Um, can you repeat that? Yeah, question? absolutely. So yeah. that that's one way for them to one one thing that they can look at and consider when, um, if they're outside that age range, that to know that mm, I might be having more difficulty conceiving just because that might be their their the amount of eggs that they have left might be something affecting that fertility. Um, you right. also mentioned the environment affecting moms. That's right. Yeah. 
Okay, so yes, absolutely. So what happens is as we become exposed to toxins in our environment, in our environment, our all of our body cells undergo what's called oxidative stress. So free radicals affect our cells and cause cellular damage. Um, and we know that by taking um, antioxidants, this can help to pr protect the cells as well, which is one of the reasons why you see uh, so much coenzyme Q10, of course, being used now in fertility because it's such a good antioxidant. But um, so what, what we see is that it's just simply exposure to to the environment over time. So that's that's one thing that can do it. And the other, the other issue is... Um, environmental toxins and things that we're exposed to in our home which would lower which would lower and change how our estrogen and progesterone are working, how our follicle stimulating hormone is working, how luteinizing hormone is working. Um, so it, it's really there are so many factors that can interfere with fertility. Um, ages ages one and what we find is that as women age these other factors come into play and they compound the issue because of course there's this toxic burden that women will carry through their through their lives and and the possibility of cellular damage caused by oxidative oxidative stress that can happen as they age as well so um, the, the issues all compound d due to eggs. So there's a finite number of eggs, but then there's all these other factors that can cause damage uh, to, the to the women's bodies. So we, we really try and... What I've been trying to really talk to <coughs> excuse me, women about is that they must, uh, you know, they must start to think about families earlier than um, when I was a young woman and they were talking to us about, you know, stay on the birth control, stay on the birth control, get your education, and that kind of thing. And that's interesting that you mentioned the birth control. How does the birth control affect um, the fertility of, of women? Because one of the things that I see, and I'm sure you see this as well, is that women and, and actually girls are going on the pill younger and younger. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the most common reason I'm seeing it prescribed now is actually for acne in 13-year-old girls. So very, very young, and for something completely unrelated. Wow. Um, so as as they're hitting adolescence, their doctors are putting them on the birth control pill for acne, or or at least that's the way it's presented to parents, and um, and it's being used as a treatment then for adolescent acne. Um, so yeah, so women are women are now being put on the birth control pill. You know, I will see many women who will come in and they'll say they you know they went on the pill at you know 15 or 16 or whenever they became. Um, sexually active, and and they're now 35 years old, and it's they've been on the pill for 20 years. That's a very long time to be on synthetic hormone replacement therapy and and having your hormones suppressed in your body by synthetic hormones. So it's it's a long, long time, and the effects the effects can range. And some women can come off the pill, and they they're able to have a normal period, and they're able to have uh, a conception happen almost right away. I would say that those women are kind of the outliers. They're not really the norm. The norm is that it takes between six and eight months usually to get a regular cycle back and get ovulation happening. And even then, sometimes we have issues with the thickness of the uterine lining, of course, which is so important when um, you're trying to conceive. Okay. So mm -hmm. in terms of that, is that... Is the damage 
is oh, so we've got that that you see that a cycle starts to regulate after six to eight months. Um, is there a, another damage that's not reversible or anything else that makes it more difficult just by being on birth control for so long? Well, well, well I mean, there's a bunch of things that we could point out. There's, of course, B vitamin deficiencies that come into effect and other vitamin deficiencies. The, the pill tends to use a lot of B vitamins in, in, in its metabolism when you're getting it out of the body. So women who are on it tend to be B vitamin deficient. So we get them on B vitamins to help them recover. Um, but aside from that, I mean, I, I think the biggest thing that we're losing when a woman goes on the birth control pill is that she really loses that awareness of a regular cycle and how her cycles would normally and naturally uh, occur. So, you know, is she a heavy bleeder or a light bleeder? Or is she, you know, a 28-day cycler or a 21-day cycler or a 34-day cycler? All of those can be within the range of normal, but they're really important to know and understand when you're trying to conceive because if if for 20 years you've had a 28-day cycle that's been carefully controlled by the pill and then you come off the pill and suddenly you have a normal 34-day cycle, well, then you'll be ovulating on day 17 or 18 or 19 instead of day 14. Mm-hmm. And if you're not aware of that change of ovulation, then, you, then you know, the, the issue with conceiving may simply be that that's wrong timing, right? Okay. So There's he... that piece of awareness that's so important. Yeah, and... and... So many things come to me think when you mention that because it's that whole thing about being in touch with your body and its normal cycles and what it does and how that's also, once you get in touch with that, not only the conceiving and fertility, but the pregnancy and the postpartum and it's all connected. It's all connected and it's also important because when a woman is more familiar with how her body functions and works in a normal healthy state without medication or without hormones, she's, she feels much more confident to report abnormal changes then as well, right? Um, so she's able to, to communicate with her doctor when something doesn't feel right because she knows always what feels right. And with pregnancy, when you have the amount of changes that are, are happening, it's it's good to have the confidence in your body to be able to grow that baby naturally and know what's uh, what feels normal and what doesn't feel normal. Absolutely. So important. Um, mm-hmm. And so we talked about the the number of eggs and, and the toxic stress. What other things can affect fertility of moms as, and affect more moms that are of an older age? Um. Well, I mean, mainly it, it's, it's, it's those things. I mean, we also see um, in terms of once a woman gets pregnant, um, uh, we see some increased risks of things that, that uh, women who are actually pregnant uh, experience. Would you like to talk about those things Absolutely. Now? Okay. So those, um, what we generally tend to see is um, as women ages, they have a greater risk of some complications during their pregnancy. Um, and so what, what I work to do is once we've achieved a pregnancy with women, what, what we try and do is help prevent some of these things. So um, pregnant women over 35 years old um, tend to have an increased risk of having uterine fibroids. Um, of developing hypertension during their pregnancy. 
um, of developing gestational diabetes, um, of, and of also having malposition of both the fetus and the placenta sometimes. The placenta can be implanted over the cervix, the placenta previa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the other, I mean, the other issue is that women who are older, they m- miscarry at a much higher rate than, than women who are younger. So and once they've achieved pregnancy, they have a much higher rate of miscarriage. Which can be extremely heartbreaking because it makes the process so tough if you're, and especially if you go down a route where you're doing more advanced fertility, like in vitro, or, you know, not just waiting for your own cycle and month after month, um, but having something more proactive. That yeah, You're absolutely right. It, it can be so heartbreaking. Absolutely. It's... Um, because they've, you know, if, if they're monitoring their cycles and they're planning, you know, intercourse and, and they've finally, they finally achieve a pregnancy after, you know, sometimes as many, many, many months or a year, it's heartbreaking then to, to lose that pregnancy. Or, I mean, IVF is extraordinarily expensive and, uh, and the risk of miscarrying with it is, again, with an older woman is, is very high. And you do see these moms who... Because the the chances of miscarriage are higher, that they go through not just one round, but two and three, and or just you know, on their own accord um, have difficulty continuing that pregnancy, so have several miscarriages, and it creates so much stress and 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 almost would you say it's almost a risk for depression? Oh, it def- I mean, definitely. We, I mean, the research bears out that women who have repeated losses are, are at risk for depression. It's also really hard, of course, on, on their relationships um, with their partner. It can be really, really difficult. Um, it, it's helpful for these people to, to um, get counseling if they can. It's, you know, it's easy to lay blame if it's male factor or if it's fe- female factor. Um, it's easy to feel... Um, it's difficult to act as a team when you're trying so hard and month after month after month you're not achieving that goal that you want. So what they're seeing is a lot of relationship breakdown with, with people who are engaging in um, technology and fertility. It, it can be quite a difficult journey for them. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. And um, going back to, you were mentioning the risks of, the increased risk for during pregnancy for um, the fibroids and the hypertension and gestational diabetes. Does this also include additional tests and additional interventions that mom, of, um, older moms require? Mm-hmm. Well, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, certainly there's a lot of testing that can happen, and then a lot of the genetic testing um, you know, there can be high rates of false positives with the genetic testing as well, and that can cause increased levels of stress during the pregnancy, which, which we try and avoid. Um, so when we look at these women as a group who are pregnant and they're over 35, they do, they do tend to feel more anxiety during their pregnancy. They worry about their babies more. Um, and when they're choosing their care team, they ch- tend to choose a care team that will be for their labor and delivery will be uh, a higher interventive care team. Um, and so when we get to labor and birth, you see that these moms have a much higher incident of, of interventive birth. So um, 
they have a higher intervention. Uh, they have a higher rate of induction. They have a higher rate of cesarean section. They have a higher higher rate of forceps specifically in vacuum extraction. So that's those are all increased risks due to anxiety on, on the mom's part about her pregnancy because she will choose a model of care that may be more interventive. Um, but during their pregnancies, what we try and do when we have these women and they've achieved a pregnancy and they, you know, they get past that first trimester where there's that risk of, um, where there's the risk of, uh, of loss, uh, what we do is we really work on on making sure they're they're really the healthiest they've ever been in their life as as much as we can. So we really emphasize healthy nutrition, um, stress reduction, physical activity. So we work closely with them on that, and and in in that way we're hoping that we can manipulate those statistics around hypertension, gestational diabetes as well, because we're we're lowering some of the things that would predispose them to having hypertension and, and gestational diabetes. Mm -hmm. And is there anything specific that you do with these moms that different from, say, a mom that was younger? Because it is recommended for all moms to have better nutrition and to exercise and all these things. So anything specific to them that is different? Well, I mean, moms who are who are 34, who are 35 and over, they generally tend to have an awareness about about their health and wellness, and they and they often will take care of themselves. But what I find in, in that particular population is the levels of stress that are so high because they now have a career and a demanding job. And I think with this particular group of women, where I work most of the time is helping um, reduce the effects of, of stress, um, often suggesting, uh, you know, that they um, step back a little bit from work and maybe not work as many hours as they had been working. Um, I do tend to really look at supporting adrenal and thyroid function um, because they're really important for maintaining a healthy pregnancy. In Chinese medicine, which naturopathic doctors use as part of our practice, we really look at um, at at sustaining kind of the qualities of the chi that we want to see in the pregnancy so that they stay strong. So lots of tonics and lots of really dense, optimal nutrition. Because what I find is they just there's not the reserve there um, to help provide that buffer that that uh, that women often have to where they can cope better with their pregnancies. Um, so I mean specifically some things I really like to prescribe some some really nourishing teas or infusions. Um, so some of my favorite ones are nettle and red raspberry um, used as an infusion. Um, and often I'll put in some alfalfa and lemon balm as well because that's um, what we find is that really provides a tonic um, in a gentle way. The teas are very gentle. And, uh, and then if we need to get into more supportive therapies in terms of... Um, herbs, we do have some higher kind of level herbs that we can prescribe um, if we're trying, you know, targeting certain certain organs. But we, I use a lot of mindfulness-based um, meditation and counseling to, to teach women how to downregulate their own stress response um, so that we can lighten the load of the amount of stress that, and the demands of their, of their busy, busy lives. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And because that stress also not only affects them, but also affects the baby to an extent. Oh, absolutely. We know that a woman under stress, that their babies um, feel the effects of those stress hormones. There's been some really interesting research about, um, how, especially in the field of epigenetics, how when a, a baby in utero is exposed to high stress, they're going to assume that they're going to be born into a world of, of high stress. Where, and we see, what we see is increased muscle mass that, ha- that is laid down and, and you know, the tools they would need to participate in a fight-or-flight response frequently, um, whereas women who have less stress, those babies have different characteristics in terms of their bodies. Um, it depends on what stress there was. In World War II, we were able to study women who uh, went through periods of starvation during their pregnancy, and, um, and we were able to follow those babies then as they aged, and what we found are those babies, um, that of those mothers who had high incidence of low calorie for a short period of time during their pregnancy, those babies ended up as what we call conservers, meaning they're able to put on adipose tissue um, really effectively and really quickly um, because they're always on the lookout for starvation. So in utero, they were pre-programmed to survive starvation by whenever they have a calorie, they save the calorie. So with adults, we see a really high risk of the development of um, metabolic disorders with these people. So they tend to have, you know, they tend to be uh, heavier people. They tend to be uh, more obese people. They'll have higher cholesterol, uh, higher blood pressure, uh, and often their blood sugar. They'll end up um, developing diabetes as an adult. So that kind of stuff is really interesting to understand. Hmm. It's something that I'm really I, I'm fascinated about, and I've only very briefly gotten into it. Um, I don't know if you recently if you've seen the movie that came out, um, Microbirth, that talked a bit about that. But what impresses me most about it is how multi generational the impact of things are, because those moms that were preparing their kids for survival and starvation then. And, you know, these kids ended up having uh, constitutions and risk factors that then do affect their fertility and affect what they pass on to their kids. And, of course, it's genetics and it all goes together. But the importance of even that 13-year-old who's being given, being put on the pill for acne medication um, or as acne treatment, that could affect her grandchild. That's right. It, it, is, it is fascinating, and we're, we're so lucky that we're now beginning to understand it, but it can also be really overwhelming to women when they, when they understand that, um, uh, I mean, as we're developing in utero, of course, female, female babies have all of the follicles in their ovaries that they're going to have. So, you know, your environment is affecting your daughter and your daughter's daughters, and it's it is fascinating and it's overwhelming and I think we need to start paying attention to lifestyle factors and stress um, and then of course the oxidative the oxidative damage and stress that we're seeing um, in women who are, are older and in men as well I mean they just released a study showing that older men because of the oxidative stress that happens 
um, in their body, they have a higher risk of, of having children with autism. And they found that as well um, in, in mothers of, uh, who were older when they conceived, yeah, older than 35. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, and there is that balance of being mindful and knowing and having the information and not being overwhelmed by it. And I think that goes through, I guess, everything we do in our toxic lives nowadays um, and in our pregnancies and that responsibility of that older moms do feel when they, I guess, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm generalizing, but a mom that, it seems to me that a mom that is doing so much to have a baby will love that child so much, not that a younger mom won't, but it's that wanting and so much hope and so much um, put into that child that the responsibility they feel might be even more, which creates better choices but more stress. Yeah, yeah. So I guess I guess our approach needs to be um, when women are, are pregnant to help support them in a way that we lessen their burden. Uh, I mean, certainly, um, certainly what we want to do is, is understand that when they're under stress and when they're, uh, you know, when they're upset, that it can cause, that it can cause issues that we may not, we may not see in the, in the newborn initially, but they may, um, they may be obvious as the child ages as well. So supporting our moms is, is super important, I think, and that's, that's why it's so important that they get care that they find is 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 um, you know nurtures them. So I think that's super important to look at. So important to to choose the proper care providers for you. That's huge because it'll affect every part of your interaction. Um, I, I mean, I see it from the doula perspective, which is what I do, and it, you you know that. A choice that was made very early on in the pregnancy will affect how the birth goes, or will affect how that mom parents even. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and then you know, if we if we want to even look at if when they're choosing a team, um, we have this cohort of women, you know, who are over thirty five years old who have a, and you know, not only do they have increased risk. In pregnancy, that is their care providers, we have to be more aware of so that we can help them prevent. I mean, prevent, prevent, prevent. But we also know that during their during their labors and births, they have a higher risk of uh, cesarean sections. They have a higher risk of postpartum hemorrhage. Um, they have a higher risk of preterm delivery uh, before 32 weeks, uh, as well as, you know, low birth weight. So we need to... Um, we need to understand that, you know. I looked at, I looked at uh, when Apple announced that it was going to help their young female employees by uh, helping them to freeze their eggs mm-hmm. so that they could be productive employees now, but still have young eggs when they decided they wanted to have a family at 35 or 40 or 42. But I think that the whole picture wasn't. It wasn't considered, so it's not—it's not just the eggs that we're worried about. I mean, certainly, certainly having younger eggs will, will help you get pregnant. But when you're 42 years old and you're carrying 
a child, it, there are more complications during your pregnancy and your birth and during your postpartum, actually, that can happen um, because you're in an older body, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think that whole piece was completely discounted when, when uh, this was proposed as a benefit to their female employees. Yeah, it, I agree. And it was almost, you know, we we see it in the media. We see women having kids older and older and in the 40s, in their 40s. And as you say, that number has skyrocketed in the past um, 30, 40 years. And it's almost a sense of false hope because that's one part that that's the part that people know about that oh it's possible to get pregnant then but the story of how hard it is to get pregnant then is not quite shared because we kind of t- tend to keep our miscarriages hush hush and and our struggles to ourselves um and not post it on facebook everywhere and <laughs> you know, share that with the rest of the world. But we're also then not doing the counterpart, which is, I think, something that you um, advocate for highly of telling our girls at a young age what this process, you know, that that hope has, is, comes with a caveat. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I, I'm, I looked what Apple was doing, and I, and I thought, well, rather than do that, I guess a healthier thing for both mom and the baby would be to support women in that window of, you know, between 24 and 30 years old, where biologically it's much um, much healthier for both the mom and the infant uh, to be pregnant at that point. So, yes, I really advocate for it. All of the, my young women patients that I see now Part of my question is, as part of my screening exam, which, by the way, I was never asked by any doctor, um, was, you know, when are you planning to have children? Um, what, are, what, are your, what are your plans for a family? And there, you know, and that opens a whole area that, as a clinician, we can do so much educating around, you know, psycho-awareness, what ovulation means, uh, you know, when can you get pregnant, when can you not get pregnant, um, so it just opens up a huge opportunity for us as clinicians to also be teachers, which is what part of our role is supposed to be. Uh, and the other, and the other part of it is, is now that I've started to do that after doing all of this research and speaking that I have in the last few years about this topic, more and more women who I've, you know, I've talked to in their 28 and 29 or 30. They're now saying to their partners, did you know that my fertility is going to start going down at 32? And do you remember our friend Lucy who, gosh, she had such a hard time and they had to get a second mortgage for their house. Why don't we think about doing this maybe a few years earlier than we had originally talked about? And, uh, and, and so they're able to make those decisions because they're more informed about, about what the reality of it is. And, you know, and they've seen their friends and relatives who might be five or ten years older than them going through this fertility process as well. So we have to start talking about it as a society. We have to start understanding that women over 40 are, you know, they're outliers. They're not, they're not the norm. They're the lucky ones, certainly. Uh, and we have to understand that, that the healthy time to get pregnant is when we're, we're younger. Um, and, and then I think as a society, we need to figure out how to start supporting that. And I don't have any answers around that, but um, I certainly... I certainly can see that we need to start supporting 
uh, younger women who are having babies for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. And I think it's it, it's so vital because, yeah, trying to figure out the support will come, hopefully, crossing fingers, once we are more aware of it being an issue. And it go, it comes back to those informed choices. If you don't know your choices, you don't have any. So if you don't know your fertility is going to become more of an uphill battle after 35 or 32, then you're kind of caught blindsided. Um, mm-hmm. So I am... I yeah, come, and I, go ahead. Oh, I, told, I, I, I really see what you're saying. I, I, um, I, women are absolutely blindsided by it. They're absolutely, you know, for example, I, I have women who are, you know, they're really super healthy professionals, and they'll come to me and they'll say, I'm the healthiest I've ever been in my entire life. I'm, you know, secure in my relationship. I'm secure in my job. Um, I've, and unfortunately, then they have a hard time doing it, and they're absolutely stunned that they have a hard time conceiving it's uh they're absolutely lost for words about it and it's and it's very sad to see it just never occurred to them that they could be healthy and fit and not be able to conceive Mm -hmm. it is it is hard so thank you so much for spreading the word and being such an advocate for the information on fertility because we do need to have that conversation with our younger when we're young and we can actually make that informed choice and then we all need to be talking about it with our cousins and our sisters and, you know, our nieces, whoever we can talk about it with. It's important, I think, that it becomes part of the consciousness. And, you know, when I was growing up, it was don't get pregnant, don't get pregnant, don't get pregnant mm-hmm. at all costs. But now I think what we need to talk about is, you know, there's an optimal time. There is an optimal time for it and, and start ta- having that conversation. The pendulum swung the other way. <laughs> I, I hope it's starting to. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Is there anything that and that, for, that you wanted to say about fertility that got left out? Well, I, I mean, I guess when when women are planning a pregnancy, it's it's so important to have this conscious decision making around it so that they do feel the healthiest that they've been at any age in their life, um, and and I think that. Once we bring, you know, true consciousness to it and, and support each other with it, that I think some of these will, some of these issues will will start to shift and change, and and we will see things being done in in a way that's more healthy. Mm-hmm. Good. I hope so too. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. So, if if the listeners want to get in contact with you or know more about what you're doing or check out your books, how they how can they contact you? Oh, I have a website. My clinic's name is Barefoot Health. Um, and so they can c- c- just jump on my website, www.barefoothealth.ca, and, uh, and they can email me directly from there. Fantastic. And we'll have it on the show notes, too, so they can click through. Wonderful. Lisa, thank you so much for being on the show today. And I hope that, yeah, that we'll all get to share our fertility stories more and more so that we know when is the best time to have a kid and we can make that choice. Yeah, I agree. Our stories are the best way to, uh, to educate each other. Thank you so much. Take good care. Thank you.
Mamas, I love to hear from you. So share with me your thoughts, or if there's a certain topic you'd like to know more about, tell me. Stay in touch by following Birthful on Facebook or Twitter. Even better, become a part of the Birthful community by subscribing at birthful.com. You'll get access to bonus episodes and other exclusive goodies. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another wonderful birth pro to help inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Mighty One. Did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.